You are listening to the Good Shepherd Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Our mission at Good Shepherd is to proclaim the gospel so that all people will believe, grow, and hope in Jesus. One of the main ways we believe that we are accomplishing our mission is through the proclaimed word. We believe that the preached word creates and sustains the church. Our desire is to preach Christ crucified for you, which means we hope that Jesus is the substance and hero of every sermon and that Jesus is preached into the places of sin and brokenness into our hearts. We thank you for joining us and hope that you will believe, grow, and hope in Jesus. All right, you may be seated. Turn, if you would, to Acts 5. We're in your journals to page 28. I want to thank Judd for filling in in my stead. It was great to, great to hear him, great to be ministered to by him. And uh, we pray for more days uh, and, and more opportunities for uh, more men to be up here to preach the gospel. Oh, man, it's, it was a really cool moment to to hear him preach to you guys. I'm sad I missed it. It was really good to, to be away. Um, and what I mean by that is uh, it was really good to be with, with Todd Perkins and East North Church. Um, it was an encouraging day for us personally uh, to interact again with just friends that we kind of feel like we are uh, in lockstep with ministry-wise. Like we're doing the same thing in just different places and you land there and, and roll right up into what they're doing and you just I mean much like as I have conversations with you guys it's like God's doing this God's doing this and you can't help but be excited uh, God's still on the move down there and it's exciting to see um, but also to to be an encouragement uh, I knew this would happen I go down there thinking like man I'm gonna be such an encouragement to Todd I'm gonna try hard to like really press into him and give him good gospel encouragement and like just the opposite happens. He leans it hard into me. I just that's that's what Todd does. He's a servant, uh, and he ministered well to me. I'd, I'd like to hope and, and pray that he was encouraged. He said he was, but he's just a really nice dude, so he wasn't going to say the opposite, even if it wasn't true. Um, but no, I, I did go down there with the uh, intention of of really ministering to him in a couple ways, and we had some really great conversations just about the challenges of uh, pastoral ministry in a in a pandemic. Uh, he had a little bit, bit more to say, but I was really able to just point him constantly towards the work that Jesus is doing and that not even the gates of hell can stop what, what he's doing. So a pandemic, man, what's, what's a pandemic going to do? Not much. So God's on the move, and it was really cool to, to be with them, but I'm certainly glad to be back with you all. Uh, I mentioned in the, in the opening that this is a, this is a challenging passage of Scripture. Uh, I I'll be honest, this is one of those passages that is, uh, is easily like top five spookiest passages in scripture. Um, and it doesn't help. I, I, I listen to a lot of different things uh, when I prepare my sermons, and a lot of it's music, and a lot of it is, is loud. Uh, I just like loud music. I don't know why. And it just kind of helps block out what's going on. But for whatever reason... I was on, and I've been on this kind of soundtrack theme recently, so I've been listening to a bunch of soundtracks, um, and I'm re-watching Stranger Things, and so I was pumping Stranger Things soundtrack as I was studying this passage, and it just, it's spooky, and that's like the word I came away with. This is a spooky passage. There's no other way to express it. Um, so we'll go ahead and read it. I ho hopefully I won't spook you out as much as I was spooked out, if you can imagine like uh, techno, scary, super thematic 
soundtrack going along with it. Uh, maybe maybe you can get the the context I was in. But all right, we're gonna read uh, chapter five all the way to verse eleven, uh, one through eleven. This is the word of the Lord. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. The young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon all the, or the whole church and all who heard these things. I mean, I don't, I don't know of a scarier line in Scripture. I mean, this might be the scariest line in all of Scripture, verse 9. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will come and bury you too. I mean, that is spooky stuff. If you're like me, you're like, what is this passage doing in my Bible? I want it out. I just want to read over it. We were having such a good time. Acts was fun. I mean, there were fireworks. The last thing we need are two dead bodies with no, no uh, possibility of a way to defend themselves and some spooky apostle who seems to know all casting death judgments on people and then tribes of young dudes carrying out bodies. It's creepy. So what's the context? I feel like it's helpful here to gather a little bit of the context here. Was this, was this last week too? Here, here. All right. Ethan, just want to whack it here? Is this on? Pause. If it would help to turn it on. That's, that's my fault. It works. You did it. It's all right. You know. Yeah, up is down, down is up. It's like the king. Well, we as Christians should get this. It's like the kingdom of God, right? Up is down, down is up. We should get this by now. Jesus told us as much. All right, here we go. The context, the context, it's really important. And Judd did a great job uh, preaching the context to us last week. So let's, let's get a little refresher. If you go back to chapter 4, uh, you have this, this really great moment in the life of the church. It's pretty fascinating. I'll go ahead and read a little bit from verses 32 through 34. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, 
but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And here's a phrase that's really important for tonight. Great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. So we are in a context here, reading Ananias and Sapphira. It is couched in a context of this idea of great grace. And how fun is it to talk about something as powerful as the idea of grace? We we read it all, right? We, we, we read it and, and sung about it and, and worshiped uh, the free grace of God, right? Tis mercy all, immense and free. The free grace of God. We talked about this in the contrasting idea of the promise of power, right? Going after power and how empty it is for human power to truly grab what it promises, but then setting our hearts on the realities of the resurrection that there is the power of God's promise, to us. The reality of the resurrection, the filling with the Spirit, had given them great boldness to proclaim the gospel, great grace to live on mission in their community. And it was palpable. Later on, next chapter, uh, actually the uh, later portions of chapter 5, we're going to see that the unbelieving community catches on and Christians were these well-beloved people. Why? Because of the great grace with which they lived their lives. They received this grace, but it just flooded their lives. It, it flooded their mission. And we can see this here in, in chapter 4. There was not a needy person among them. The Christian community, in theory, is the best community to be a part of. And I say in theory because I think it's important. I've been in church long enough to know that functionally that's not always the case. But on paper, there's no reason for us to not be people filled with great grace. This great grace is really the impetus behind the whole idea of Christian freedom, of Christian liberty. And the free Christian is a very powerful thing indeed. There's a pastor uh, that I was just poking around with uh, doing some research on this passage. And she, it's a she. And she actually said, Christian freedom is living with nothing left to lose. Christian freedom is living with nothing left to lose. And I thought about a lot about how Paul describes Christian freedom. I would give up everything for the sake of knowing Christ. If I know Christ and I know the power of his, or his resurrection, I could give up everything else. I could count everything else as loss. In Philippians 4, he discusses this idea of, I can face any situation, knowing the power and the resurrection of Christ, knowing that the free grace of God at work in my life, I can face anything. I know how to embrace need. I know how to deal with way too much. I have learned in every situation I can be content, right? The strength of God is what allows me to, uh, uh, to face anything that comes my way. A great verse that's constantly taken out of context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? The strength of God, I can face anything. I can, I can have a lot. I can have a little. In any context, I can abound. Why? Because the grace of God that works within us. I have all I need in the power of Jesus. 
his resurrection. So I'm living my life as if I have nothing left to lose. So I can spend the rest of my life giving away things and not feeling so attached to things that I often by my flesh feel so attached to. With nothing left to lose, the early church realized the power and freedom of losing for the sake of their neighbor. It was a powerful, life-changing, community-shaping unction of the Holy Spirit in light of the gospel. May even, in some of our minds, spark this idea of the socialism or communism. Is, is this kind of life that God would have us to live? And, and, and certainly, that's, that's really not where this passage goes. That's really not what's meant to be taken away from this. You can see in uh, 434, they were owners of lands and houses. This, this was their own property. They, they owned it. Uh, in our passage in chapter 5, uh, verse 4, uh, you can see some of the same thing. Peter's asking uh, in verse 4, it remained unsold, and you owned it. You, you owned this property. You could do whatever you wanted to do with it. Uh, while the money, after you sold it, the money, that was at your disposal. You could have done whatever you wanted to do with it. So it wasn't this, it wasn't this uh, function of uh, a great political system at work. It was this unction of true freedom. In other words, it wasn't this social or political construct that was creating things. It was the work of God in Jesus creating things. And it was spontaneous. Notice it wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't programmatized and it, and it wasn't legislated. It was free moving. It's part of the, the power, right, of the Holy Spirit. We see this in Galatians uh, chapter 5, the fruits of the Spirit. There's, there's no... There's no law on the fruit of the Spirit. How the Spirit produces fruit, how He works in our lives, the grace that He produces in our lives. There's no measuring sticks. You don't, you don't hold up measuring sticks or uh, you, don't, you don't try to attach any sort of limits to what, what happens there, right? It's, it's free moving. It's unsolicited, spontaneous. The nothing left to lose kind of living doesn't just apply to possessions. And here's what the church began to figure out. It means also you're free to give up things like status. You're free to give up things like recognition or uh, taking credit for things or even validation in our lives, right? We just want to be made right. We want to be able to take credit for things. We want to be seen as noteworthy or uh, at least elevated in our status. And the freedom of the Christian allows the ability to let go of those things, to lose those things. Instead of seeking to get to the front of the line, you're actually free to move to the back on purpose. Instead of having the most, you're free to have the least. And instead of seeking to move up, you're free to fall down. Instead of pursuing your own definitions of what it means to truly live, you're free to embrace the loving and wonderfully blissful beauty of self-forgetfulness. This is what the church was wonderfully realizing in this moment. They had great grace. It was palpable, and there was not a needy person among them. And we actually have a great example of this. Uh, we uh, studied this a little bit last week. Uh, the great example, of course, of course, is uh, Joseph in verse 36, called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Uh, he was beginning to kind of get his own kind of uh, recognition for, for whatever reason. And, and, and this happens, right? I mean, there are just so many people in the Christian experience, and you know some of them. A lot of them are, are your, uh, the people that you just like look up to in the Christian bubble, where you're just like, that person is like, seriously, there's a, that, that person's just a saint, right? We even joke like, in heaven, 
that person will be so close to Jesus. We even joke like that, right? Anybody else joke like that? I was like, that, I won't even, I won't even in, like in heaven, I won't be able to see that person because I'll be hanging out with Jesus so much. They're just amazing people. And that's not to, like, I'm not trying to, like, give them any sort of reasons to, to boast. They're just, and they would even deflect that. They'd be like, no, nah, that's not me. I'm, I'm in the back. They are just such great people. And we see this here in, in Joseph. He was called Barnabas, the son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him and, and, and laid the money at the apostles' feet. And it was like this well-known, even like Luke decides to, I'm going to throw him in there because that dude is just, that's a dude right there, full of grace. That guy, man, just worth noting him. There's no other reason for him to be, he's just like, that guy's a dude. Awesome. There's a great example, and yet it's amazing how quickly our hearts can take a good thing, even the good example, and turn it into a way of seeking to prove our own goodness or our own righteousness. So we have this good example. We have, we have great grace, and we have this, oh no, we have a great example, and this is where we pick up this contrast. In fact, Verse 5 is very helpful, the very first word. But, in contrast, in light of this great grace, in light of this wonderful example, let me now tell you a story about the exact opposite. And oh, how our flesh actually resonates. And there's not too much uh, judgment that we can cast on Ananias and Sapphira because you will find your heart resonating more with them than you will with Joseph. We have this bad example, and here's, here's the warning. And really, this story is nothing short of merely a warning. It's just a constant warning. And it's going to raise a lot of questions. You're going to start to ask, well, is this coming for me? I'm not going to have a lot of clear answers for you on that regard, but I think it's enough of a warning for us to stop and greatly consider where our hearts fall in light of lining up with the grace that God has given us as a church community. So here's the warning. We see a bad example, and really it's bad examples. Because what we find is that this is really a premeditated example here. And it's a, uh, an example of uh, collusion, right? It wasn't just one dude. It was actually a dude and his, his wife, and they conspired together to try to find some level of self-promotion. A man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. What started in faith was corrupted by the flesh. This was something that obviously was something agreed upon. There was some sort of agreement. We don't actually have it listed here. It's actually slightly surprising coming from Luke, who's fairly detailed. We have at least an assumption here that there was some level of an agreement between Ananias and Sapphira and the apostles. There was, there was a known amount that was being brought here. Ananias, uh, Ananias I, I don't know exactly how it went, but according to the assumptions here that we can draw out from, from Peter and the conversation here, Peter was expecting some number from the sold field. There was some uh, exact amount that they were uh, looking to receive. And again, this was a, 
Ananias didn't have to do this. You may even see that he looked at the example of Joseph and maybe thought, hey, that, that's a really cool thing. That's a great idea. I, I have some land. I, I can actually do this, and, and we can help the church as well. Uh, and I can share the grace that has been shared with me. So what started as this act of faith was corrupted by, this, by the flesh, and uh, Ananias and Sapphira get together and say, hey, hey like, you know, we, we agreed on, on this for the, for the church, but I'm, I'm wondering, don't, don't tell Peter, but I'm wondering if it's actually better if we just hold a little bit of this back. But let's, but let's act like we're giving the full amount. And I would actually argue that this isn't as much uh, an issue about money or penny-pinching or, or stealing as much as it is about the deception of seeking to gain righteousness where there is none. Of actually seeking to gain uh, some sort of credit or some sort of appearance of righteousness where there wasn't any to be found in the bank. And I think this is the moment where Peter started to, to realize, it, again, it wasn't just about money. It's, it's almost like, again, Peter doesn't care about the money too much. He says, you could have done whatever you wanted. You could have sold it for how much? You could have given us only a portion. It was at your disposal. But the issue is you, you lied, and you didn't just lie to us. Because we, we're, we're not going to be able to see. But there is somebody who does see. There is somebody who does keep score. There is somebody who knows where righteousness is found and where righteousness is lacking. There's something agreed upon and they conspired together in order to gain. It's interesting that they were seeking, uh, in verse 2, they were trying to keep back some of the proceeds. They were trying to somehow end up in the positive. Remember how we talked about constantly about this promise that power offers to us, right? There's something out there that you need. There's something out there that you have to gain. And without that gain, without the gains, Miranda, you know what gains, without the gains, you're missing out. You have to get those. Ananias and Sapphira, uh, Sapphira feel this pull. They feel like they're in the negative and they have to somehow get the positive. It's amazing. They were not, uh, excuse me, they were not content on losing. They were intent on gaining. And this was the whole issue. It demonstrates a clear lack of faith in the resurrection of Jesus. It's almost like they forgot what they had witnessed. It demonstrates a clear lack of faith in the gospel. To feel like there's something out there that we don't have, that Jesus hasn't provided. We just, we just saying, and, man, and can it be that, that I should gain? An interest in the Savior's love died he for me who caused his pain. They had forgotten. And the thing that Peter is concerned about also is that this lack of faith in the gospel begins to warp and twist community. It begins to actually take its toll on the Christian community. And we, we see this. You didn't just lie to men. You did lie to us. You, you did lie to men. We were, we were actually expecting that. We were actually planning on it. But you also lied to God. But you, but you didn't lie to us. It's no small deal. Paul says this in, in the Corinthians. It's, it's eerie how similar Paul re, kind of relays the same message. This is in 1 Corinthians. And the church of Corinth was 
a horrible group of people in, in, in reality, functionally speaking. They were saints in, in God's eyes, praise God. But Paul says this to them, do you not know that you are God's temple? The Spirit is here among you all. Just like we heard here, the, the Spirit is among us, dwelling within us. But you are God's temple, or as they say down south, y'all are God's temple. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a plural you. You all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and that temple you are. It's a scary moment that somebody would come and misrepresent or misapply or simply unbelieve the gospel, the thing that the, the Spirit created, founded on the resurrection power of Jesus, and that somebody would lie to the Spirit, lie to the community to try to get gains for themselves. And to hear, to hear Paul's warning, oh, beloved, we, th- we should absolutely think twice about how we exist in community. We should absolutely think twice about the level to which we are coming into our communities fearing somehow that we are in, we are lacking something that we are trying to extract from one another. We should be fearful somehow that we are deceiving the community to be able to get gains that we feel like we need when in reality it's a it's a lie it's a shame that god knows that he is taking uh, account of when great grace is afforded to us in jesus we should be slow and hesitant towards the things that produce within the life of the church this great fear and this is what we begin to see it's amazing this idea. He mentions it twice in this passage. We just read a portion that talked about this great grace being among us, and now uh, in chapter 5, in verse uh, 5, and also in verse 11, you have this idea of great fear now permeating the life of the church because of what they have just witnessed. They have just witnessed this deception, this seeking to, to, to gain, and God actually in I actually think this is a loving hand of discipline or a loving hand of purging that God would allow this moment to come and God take, take seriously uh, the realities of his grace in the life of the church and say, no, 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 I'm going to keep this grace in play. I'm going to preserve the realities of this grace for my church. It might seem very harsh to us on the front end, but the reality that God is at work to preserve this grace for us should cause us to stand in great fear. Now, what might this fear mean? I think it's helpful to understand the reality of fear. We, of course, we, we know that uh, fear, biblical a sense of fear of God, fear of the Lord, is the beginning of all sorts of wisdom. It's the beginning of the, uh, to understand the whole counsel of God. You want to know God's heart and God's mind, how he has designed things, how God is uh, even mentally wired, his logic. You want to figure that out in life. Well, it begins with the fear of the Lord. So what, is, what is the fear of the Lord? I sim- this is my definition. I've, I've tried it. I've tested it. Um, I've had a lot of pastors say, yeah, I think that's right on. 
Um, but this is my own definition. You can take it for what it is simply as one person's opinion. But I think the fear of the Lord is a proper response to God in all of the ways in which he has revealed himself. I think it's a proper response. In other words, we are responding to God how he has revealed himself to us. We don't, we don't get to make that up. God reveals himself to us, and we respond. And if there's an appropriate response there, then that is the fear of the Lord. So well, how has he revealed himself to us? Well, I think there's two major, major categories that, that we would all know around here, and hopefully uh, uh, we're, we're learning more and more. But I think God has revealed himself in the form of this idea of law, how he has uh, made immovable um, uh, uh, um, uh, concrete pillars of his holiness and his character. It is this expression of law or demand, what he requires. And simply that's a reflection of his own personhood, his own holiness. He's revealed himself in that way. And it comes to us in terms of law, the thou shalt and the thou shalt not. And when we hear or when we uh, even experience this feeling of thou shalt and thou shalt not, we stand in fear, we stand in awe of who he is, and we uh, respond appropriately to that and say, yes, I will, or no, I won't. We We respond appropriately to that, but also what God requires, he provides for us freely in the gospel. And so we see his law and his gospel revealed to us. And I think the fear of the Lord is also appropriately responding to Jesus on a cross. Taking, taking a moment, and even as we sung, and can it be that I should gain? Stand, standing in awe or standing in fear of how he, has, how he has revealed himself, God incarnate made flesh for us. We should see Jesus in a manger and stand in fear. In, in one sense, we should, we should tremble. At how is this possible? How is his love brought to us in this way? Un, uh, it's amazing love. And I think the church here at this moment, filled with great grace, as a context of great grace, now seeing Ananias and Sapphira, seeking to gain something that they don't have in, to, to the detriment of the church community and, and really to the Uh, in the face of the Holy Spirit, and they stand in fear, they stand in awe of this revelation that God would take serious uh, his grace in the life of the church. That he would take serious this thou shalt and thou shalt not in the life of the church. Love one another. Serve one another. Don't live for yourself. Live for one another. And we see people uh, doing detriment to the body of Christ in this way. God acts very seriously, and the church stands in awe. I think it's fascinating. Uh, this is uh, in chapter 5, verse 11. This is the first time the word church is actually even recorded in Scripture, which is interesting. The first record that we have of the idea of church is the church standing in fear of God's discipline in the life of its own community. You might have questions about Ananias and Sapphira, and I do too. It's fascinating. I do think they were believers. Uh, I, don't, I don't think this story uh, takes the shape that it does if they weren't believers. In other words, if they were part of the unbelieving community, uh, you, you probably don't have this kind of public response from, from Peter. Peter seems to indicate that the problem that they were dealing with was actually predicated on the fact that they had made a witness and, and also probably a, a, a recognition of faith in the resurrection of Jesus, so they, they should have known, they should have seen, and 
Peter holds them accountable to that. You were filled with great grace over here, and now all of a sudden you're going to try to get gains over here. That, this ought not to be. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. You, you, are, you are one with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is one with you, and now you're lying to him. This, ought, this shouldn't be. I think that all is predicated on them actually being believers. And so if that's true, you might start to ask more questions. Well, could this happen to us? If we sin, should we be in fear of all of a sudden just being zapped and people seeing feet at the door? Is that for me? It's a logical question. I think in terms of answer, I think some of the things I can point you to would just be the, the kind, disciplinary nature of God's love. You're so like, man, people dropping dead doesn't seem so kind. Maybe not. But I think if you perhaps adopt some of the context of what we were thinking through in terms of resurrection, in terms of even Paul's understanding for me to live, Christ to die, bonus, I don't know about you, but how many times have I struggled with sin to the point where I'm like, honestly, maybe having the Ananias and Sapphira treatment wouldn't be so bad. Then I'd be done. I'd, I'd be there. It'd be over. This came clear for me last night. Uh, we were at IHOP for Finn's birthday. Finn thinks that IHOP has the greatest burgers. And not thinks. He knows. IHOP has the greatest burgers of mankind. So we went to IHOP last night. Forgot he was in the room. Uh, we went to IHOP last night because they do have the best burgers ever. He didn't order a burger, though. He had a chocolate chip pancake. So <laughs> to our shock and amazement. But um, anyway, we'll figure out a better plan for next year, I think. But anyway, uh, the point of this story actually isn't Finn. It's the other uh, child, Shiloh. And uh, he was having a rough night. And so after many warnings... Uh, and after a trip to the, the vehicle for a, a conversation, uh, we <coughs> still had some, some problems at dinner. And uh, he was sitting down at the kid's wing, and I'm sure that in his own mind that didn't necessarily help him to process what we were asking him to do. And so in loving, kind discipline, Nikki actually removed him from the situation and said, you are sitting next to me. And he had a great night for the rest of the evening, sitting right next to Nikki. Now, Shiloh loves being with Nikki, so that's not a hard thing for, uh, for him to process and to do. But, you know, I, I was thinking about that situation, and I was like, you know, in many ways, that's not too undifferent than Ananias and Sapphira. There was discipline. They didn't do right. It was wrong. And it's like God the Father said, you're going to sit by me for the rest of eternity. And you know what? They're probably doing just fine. This is a spooky passage. But in light of the resurrection of Jesus, let come what may. Let come what may. If God decides to take us home and seat us on his lap and say, you're going to be dining with me for the rest of eternity. You know what? I'd go like that. I'd raise my hand. I'd say I probably even deserve it. God wouldn't let me think that way because of his son, but I'd get it. But great fear came on the whole church. And at that moment, it became very clear to them that, man, this great grace that Jesus has provided for us is super serious. It's, it's life and death for the, for the church. 
If we're going to live here, if we're going to do this, we might as well not spread death, sin, and corruption. We might as well live celebrating the life of Christ and allowing it to reflect well on us and the rest of our community. Let's go after it. Great fear, twice, great fear came on the church, it said in verse 11, and upon all those who heard of these things. My friends, certainly, God takes Christian community seriously. He absolutely does. We can see it in this passage. It's a strong warning for us. And I think in one sense we should read this and we too should examine our own lives and say, man, in what ways am I, am I not hearing the gospel? In what ways does the resurrection power of Jesus functionally work in the life of my community? But my friend, we, we already sang it. No condemnation now we, now we, now we dread. We're, we're, not, we're not fearing that even if God were to take us home, that it would be the end of all things. My friend, it would be the beginning of something amazing. And we would know community in a way that we have never, ever known it. So there, there would be no fear of condemnation at that point. But let us at least commit to understanding the realities of the gospel and doing our best as long as God gives us on this earth, commit towards expressing the realities of Jesus' resurrection life right here within our group so that there wouldn't be a needy person among us. I was really grateful this past week. We got home, and uh, literally, as soon as we pulled in, uh, somebody gave Nikki a phone call and said, hey, swing by our house. I'm giving you a bowl of soup. I know you guys have had only uh, fast food to eat, and of course, when kids are, are picking the menu, it's the worst kind of fast food. Uh, and so someone said, hey, I got fresh soup uh, and a loaf of bread. It, just come pick it up. The next day, uh, somebody else smoked a bunch of meat and dropped by and said, here's a bunch of meat for you guys to eat. And it was just like, there's not a needy person am among us. And I, was, I know it's just food and there are other needs, but the reality is that like, I think that that great grace can and does permeate Christian communities. But it's all centered on the realities of, of Jesus and the gospel. It can't be centered on, on gains and thinking that there's something from this Christian community that you've got to get from it. It allows it to be free-moving and say, Jesus is enough. What can I give? How can I help? What do I, what do I have that can help somebody else in need? And living our whole lives that way. Again, next week, we're going to discuss many signs and wonders being done, and everyone else in the community begins to catch on, and it's powerful. But for now, I just want you to think about your own heart and be encouraged. Even if God is at work, even now, disciplining you, it's a, it's a discipline of love that he would allow you to see the, the death that we tend to permeate our own Christian community and allow us to experience the, the power and, and, uh, of Jesus' forgiveness and, and his life at work among us. And I pray that that would be here uh, in our church as well. But let's stand, in, let's stand in fear. Let's respond appropriately to how God has revealed himself in his law and in his gospel to us. And let's rejoice and get to work. All right? Can we do that? There you go. Amen. All right, let's pray. God, we, we, we do kind of feel like if you were to call us home at any moment because of the things that we have done or the ways that we have misbelieved the gospel or things that we've simply just forgotten and just lapsed on, Father, we, we would say, yeah, and yeah, we kind of deserve that. But Father, that's not your MO. That's not, that's not your game. 
with this. Father, you just want to allow the great grace that you have freely poured out on humanity through Jesus to be experienced by the church and by all who would come in contact with her. So Father, even as that's our, that's our mission, to proclaim this gospel so that people would believe, grow, and hope in Jesus, Father, I pray that you would continue uh, to fit us for that. Allow us to, um, uh, to be people who embrace the grace of Jesus. Allow us to be people who are growing in the grace of Jesus, that we might know more about grace than we do about religion or weights and measures of uh, human gains. Father, I pray that we might know grace more than anything in this life. And Father, I pray that we would actually set our entire hopes to the point where it would actually carry us on in this life, that we would set our expectations that Jesus will come back in great glory and great grace. Father, I pray that we would be people who are celebrating this and living this out in the life here that you have uh, allowed us to live. And Father, for as long as we're here, may we, like the church, stand in great fear of who you are and of what you've done. And may Ananias and Sapphira be a helpful warning to us, but also an encouragement to know that no matter what happens, it's all going to be okay because of Jesus. We pray these things through him. salvation